It's Terry from No Crumbs Left, and we're kicking off season four of the podcast with Katie Couric, and we're talking about her book, Going There, and we're going to put this in your feed just before the holiday so that you can have a listen. Enjoy. Okay. Oh my gosh, Katie Couric, this is so much fun. I'm delighted to have you. Thank you for having me, Terry. I'm happy to be here. I've been so excited about the success of your book. I mean, number one on the New York Times bestseller list, beating out some unbelievable people. How does that feel? It was very gratifying. You know, I was so excited to get my book out into the world. And, you know, the fact that people are reading it and appreciating it and finding it worthwhile, you know, that's all you want. And I think it's resonating with a lot of people. You know, I didn't write this for the New York media bubble. I didn't write it for the tabloids, which totally misrepresented it and kind of plucked stuff and made it me sound like a terrible person, which is, I guess, what they do. But, you know, I really wrote it for people who follow me, people who watch the Today Show, who supported me when I did the CBS Evening News, who have daughters, the daughters who have mothers who followed me. And men too. And so the fact that people are, it's resonating, that means everything, Terry. And that's that's why I wrote the book. I think there are some valuable life lessons in there. And hopefully people can take away some things from it, which will apply to their lives as well. And, you know, I think you shared so honestly, I, I did the book on audio. So it was like, I, I hung out with you for 12 or 18 hours, whatever it was. It was a lot of people are loving the audio, Terry. Yeah, really wonderful. And often an author doesn't do it. But when it's someone's life story, of course, you want them to do it. I couldn't imagine having someone else read my words. And I think what people are really loving about the audio is that they basically are listening to old interviews it was intercut with a lot of the actual conversations I was referring to, like when Brian Gumbel welcomed me to the Today Show or when he gave me a hard time about taking maternity leave. And, you know, instead of just reading it, you actually hear the conversations or hear the interviews going on, which I think makes it a richer experience for people. I absolutely love that. One of the things that I think that we have in common is that we both had amazing dads that loved and believed in us and from the truest place really mentored us. Tell me a little bit about your dad and what that was like to have had this lifelong mentoring, you know, because you were joined in terms of what you was important to you and what you love to do. Well, you know, I'm lucky. I had two incredibly loving parents. I'm, I was very close. I almost said present tense. They both have passed away, but very close to both my mom and dad. My dad, though, I think was my North Star, as I describe him, my journalistic North Star, because he was a newspaper man, very, very smart, very erudite, kind of could talk fluently about so many different things. And he was the one that really encouraged me. I think he saw in me a certain curiosity. I think he saw in me, you know, an unusually high level of emotional intelligence, maybe, if not intellectual intelligence, uh, although I, I think I'm semi-intellectual, but he just really encouraged all his kids to achieve and to do well. My parents both were very focused on us doing well in, co- in school so we could get into good colleges. I think they saw 
education as the key to a successful life, whether that meant making a lot of money or not. You know, life of learning was something that that my parents, particularly my dad, really emphasized. And he'd call me after the Today Show and we'd do a postmortem if I had a big interview. And he'd say that was excellent, especially when I interviewed David Duke, when I did a safe sex demonstration with a condom and a life-size penis. He said, Katie, I think you've taken it a little too far. So he was sort of my peanut gallery in all things professional. Yeah, he, it, he was amazing. Tell us how you ended the book. I mean, I thought that was so beautiful. And it really, to me, it tied the book together, but ended on this very, very personal note. Yeah, you know, I was rereading a lot of letters in the process of writing this book, Terry. And luckily, I'm a pack rat, so I keep everything. Now I have no excuse not to clean the boxes in my basement and get rid of some of this stuff. But You know, I kept every letter that my mom wrote me in college or my dad wrote me, and he liked to write letters. Gosh, it's such a lost art. It's sort of sad in a way. But my dad wrote me a letter on the third anniversary of my late husband's death, Jay Monahan. And it was just a really sweet, kind letter. And he used the word rectitude, which I think, you know, my dad had a A plus vocabulary. And one of my best gifts was a dictionary who he inscribed to my favorite wordsmith to me. And, uh, you know, I think it was just a note of encouragement and appreciation for me, which was just so dear. And, you know, also had some humor. My dad had a really kind of quiet sense of humor. And he made an allusion to Strom Thurmond who he covered when he worked at the Atlanta Constitution or maybe United Press. And he always would imitate Strom Thurmond putting his arm around a good looking woman in his office and always saying, smart, good, pretty, too. (laughs) And that became kind of like, you know how families have expressions and things they say that everyone gets? That kind of became an expression in our family. So I just thought it was a nice way to wrap up the book and just a final kind of salute to my dad. Yeah, it was beautiful. I don't think we get to be 60 without experiencing some loss, you know, and you've had more than your share, you know, from your parents, your sister to your late husband. How has that impacted your life and having to do it, you know, of course, while being in the public eye? It's funny because I didn't really have a lot of hardship until my 40s. But boy, after 40, my husband died when I was 41. He was diagnosed when I was 40. And nine months later, he he died of colon cancer. A couple years after that, my sister Emily died of pancreatic cancer. My parents both lived to a ripe old age. You know, my mom was 91. My dad was 90. So I was very, very lucky. But it's always you know, no matter how old someone you love is, it's always too soon. You know, people can say, oh, they led a a rich, long life, but you still miss them and you still want them to be there and you still think about them all the time. I mean, how does it change you? I don't know. You just sort of, I think you appreciate things. You know, I used to get so upset when I lost things, you know, a piece of jewelry or some kind of physical object, but you know, now I realize they're just things. And what's really, what's real and what you need to cherish are your relationships. And when Jay was dying, he said, you know, nothing matters more than your family and friends. And I think he was saying that that is really 
what matters when all is said and done. You know, we're on this hamster wheel. We're all trying to achieve. And, you know, I still operate like I have something to prove after all these years. You know, what am I going to do next? What am I going to try to excel at next? And I don't think we slow down and really appreciate our relationships, you know, and, and during the holidays, I'm really going to try for a week to be off social media, not be checking my phone, you know, not being distracted, but really being present and with the people I love just to kind of have a break, because I think we're all so addicted to our devices. So I think it just made me appreciate the here and now more. But of course, you say that and then you slip into old habits, you know, a week later. But it's something I try to remind myself, you know, be grateful for every day you feel well and the people around you have their health because I know what it's like to have that eclipse everything. Right. I mean, social media, it does take it out of us, you know, and so for, you know, someone like you and on a smaller scale, like, you know, for me, it's like we're on, we're on, we're on. How do you, it's such an endless cycle and you know, as my partner likes to say to me, what what is the end game, Terry? Are you working up until the day you die? Like, I just let me know now. So what how do you, uh, you know, adjust? What do you do around that? How do you quite literally cope? And I know, you know, you, you have help and all of that. But how do you do that? Well, I think you're right. It's always like, oh, I haven't posted anything today. What am I going to post? And for me, you know, since I'm not on television anymore every day, This is sort of my connection with an audience. And so I want to stay connected. I want to, you know, have conversations. I love my followers. I feel like I have really smart, interesting, interested people who are kind of part of a community we've built. And I want to be in touch with them virtually. I know it's sort of weird, isn't it? Well, I know. I totally get it. (laughs) But I think, you know, that's why I'm going to take a break over the holidays And I think it can take on an outsized role in your life. And I think it can hurt your relationships. My husband was like, you need to get off social media. Sometimes I take him for granted and I'm, you know, scrolling away or I'm looking at stuff or I'm watching things. And he he's got a problem with it, too. But, you know, those are those are minutes and hours you can't get back. You know, I remember being with my mom as she was very sick in the last probably months of her life. And I was on social media for what? Like, why? And those were moments that I could have spent just sitting with her and talking to her and asking her questions and, you know, having important conversations. So I think it's something we all have to just be very mindful of. Right. Absolutely. You know, because access to all you know, is con- it's consuming. And to what end? And how do we sort of, you know, create something different? You know, I, I took a week off this year. Molly, you know, posted for me while I was gone. It was wonderful. I was completely off for a week. And I've now made it where I'm in the kitchen certain days, but not at all on others and working remotely. And I've had to quite literally change my life. And I wonder if there are ways that you've had to also. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes when I'm on my phone, it's not social media. I'm reading articles. You know, I consume a lot of information and I read a lot on my phone, but it's still on your phone, right? I mean, I could spend 24-7 on my phone reading interesting articles, right? And it's just so funny. The news cycle is so different than it used to be. It's just constant. You're inundated. It's like a tsunami of information that you kind of drown in. And 
you know, you're never going to be able to read everything out there. It's sort of like you're never going to be able to read all the books in the library. But because this is your phone has become such an appendage, it just requires much more self-discipline, I think, because it's there in front of you all the time. And think how life was in the 70s. Um, We're about the same age. And I came of age. I was born in 1957. So in the 60s and 70s and really beyond you weren't, you know, maybe if you were in the car, you listened to the radio. In the morning, you might read the newspaper, right? I worked in the news business, so the wire machine was always humming away. But it wasn't, you know, if, you, if you're just a normal person and, and didn't work in a newsroom, you went about your business and your life, and you weren't connected all the time. And somehow, we survived. And in some ways, life I think was better. Yeah. I mean, you've gone from having these, you know, amazing jobs and you've created your own, you know, you're, you're a modern day, you know, media maven. And it's like, you've created your own media company. And I mean, it is, first of all, it's like sisters doing it for themselves. And I know you have a lot of amazing people that help you, but I think it's been so much fun for me personally, sort of to watch you and sort of see the movement. Tell me, just tell me a little bit about it. Well, you know, it's nice I mean, I sometimes I miss working in a news organization because there's something it's almost becomes the second family to you, the people you work with that you see every day and that you are on shoots with and in the editing room with. And I loved every second of my career. CBS was challenging as I write in the book, but the work itself I loved, even though some of the people weren't weren't that into me, as they say. And you know, for me, it's just having much more control over my fate. When you work for these big news organizations, especially as a woman, I think it's sometimes hard because people are making subjective decisions about you, sometimes based on ratings, but sometimes based on things that have nothing to do with talent or a meritocracy at all. And I think to be in charge of my own fate has been really great to be the boss of me, as my daughter used to say, <laughs> as in you're not the boss of me. So that's been great. And to be able to be really selective about the projects I do, about, you know, being able to write a book, I could never have done that and been on television every day, being able to develop documentaries and scripted shows and my newsletter to be able to spotlight the stories I care about, to do a podcast and interview interesting people. You know, I DM'd, this is sort of an example of the freedom it gives you. I and, and, and the technology has made it possible to do things without a big studio and a camera crew. And in fact, one might argue that you're meeting people where they are and they're more, they're just as likely to see you on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter as they would on a network show these days, you know, it just, it just gives you more flexibility. But I just finished watching the show called Made with Andy McDowell and her daughter, Margaret Qualley. And it was so well done and so good. And last night I finished it. I, yesterday I was watching the final episodes on the plane from LA to New York. And I was like a mess. I was crying my little head off. And I just, I DM'd Andy McDowell. And I was like, oh my God, I go, um, She's cute. I said, Andy, OMG, I'd loved made finished today on the plane and was weeping. You were amazing. Your daughter was amazing. And she wrote back right away. Oh, my goodness. I'm just sitting here looking at horses to relax. And I got this lovely note. You don't know how much you made my heart sore. So very kind. I'm going to brag to my family that I got the sweet note for me. It really means a lot. 
I will definitely pass the message on to Margaret. She will be touched. And then I was like, I'd love to interview the two of you together. That's lovely and generous, you know, anyway. So we're trying to figure out when I can interview her, you know, how fun, like, I just booked that interview myself. You know, we didn't have to go through the publicists. And I just said, you know, Andy, I'd love to talk to you about this show because she was amazing in it. So I think media has changed so much. So much. You know, so it's it's just really fun and easy to kind of reach out to people and and like, oh, I want to talk about this or we really should focus on what's happening in Ethiopia because it's not getting any attention. So we did that in our newsletter today. And I don't know. It's just fun to be able to do that. And the news landscape has gotten so strange and polarized. And I don't know, it just for me, it's just nice to have the freedom to do things the way I want to do them. And I love it. I love actually your lives. I think they're great from doctors, you know, to actors, to just people informing us on all kinds of things. So I really love the lives, the way that you do them, the guests that you have. I think I think what you're doing over there is a lot of fun. It is fun. And uh, it's hard, you know, because I the book was sort of all consuming and it took me three years to write. And um, now I have a little more flexibility. So I'm excited about that, too. We'll be right back with more No Crumbs Left Table Talks. So, Mom, you've got this amazing recipe, the gluten-free blondies with a secret ingredient, and there's a swirl in there. What on earth is that swirl? So we take prunes, we cook them down into this, like, lovely jam, swirl them throughout. It is unbelievably delicious. Oh my gosh. If people don't know about the magic of California prunes, well, now is the time. I mean, they're pretty magical. I just love how they, you know, what they do in baking, uh, you know, but also for your gut health, for your bones. And let's face it, they're taking their name back and we are prune enthusiasts for sure. Total prune enthusiasts. Let's go. the themes in the book to me is sort of like persistence and resilience. But one of the things that I think you are, and I mean this in the best sense of the world, oh, is, no. is no, you're a hustler. I mean, you're out there doing your thing, making it happen, sending the DM, getting the people on. I am a hustler. I like that. <laughs> I'm a hustler too. I was like, please, it is only a compliment. But I, I love that about you from chasing the story to make, you know, just to making things happen. You know, just do you think that's just inherently who you've always been? Where'd you get that gift from? I don't know. You know, I think I'm extremely competitive. I am very, you know, much an extrovert and uh, can do person. You know, my mom's motto to the four current kids was let them know you're there. So from an early age, I think, you know, she really encouraged us to get in the game, to be the the men and women in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt said, and to to be full participants in life. And I think part of it is just how I'm wired, honestly, in my personality, being the ultimate extrovert. But I also think my mom was very, very productive. You know, she was always racing around doing stuff. And she was a stay-at-home mom. She volunteered at Planned Parenthood and later worked in the gift department of Lord & Taylor. But she was sort of indefatigable. And I think I have a lot of that from her. I feel I feel this urge, almost requirement to be productive in a way that is kind of cuckoo, but it allows me to get a lot done and to really go after what I want, which I think is important. You might not be as outgoing or as extroverted as I am, but in the book I talk about, 
I mean, it's it's clear that I've lived my life with a certain degree of intentionality, if that's a word. I don't even know if that's a word. But, you know, I see things. I decide what I want. And maybe this is a Capricorn thing. I'm not really being into horoscopes, but they're goats, right? And they're kind of slow and steady wins the race. And you go, oh, that's a turtle. But <laughs> but anyway, but I, think it, I think it works. You know what I mean? I just yes. kind of I set out to accomplish things and I try my best to accomplish them. And I think in the book, one of the things I hope young people will get is you may not be good right away at things. And that's frustrating. Believe me, like I can't play golf because I'm not if I'm not good at golf, I don't want to play and I don't want to put in the hours and the years to get good. But if you want something and you're willing to work hard, I think sweat equity is really undervalued in our culture. Absolutely. You just have to stay focused and keep doing and doing and doing and not give up. And unless you really don't have a knack or any natural talent for what you're trying to do, that's one thing. I think you have to be honest with yourself. Like I could never be, you know, nuclear physicist, (laughs) you know, so you have to kind of make sure that your talents or skills dovetail somewhat with what you want to do. But, you know, I just wouldn't give up. I was like a dog with a bone and I, I could have quit any time given the negative feedback I was getting early in my career, but I just kept at it. And I kept thinking, what do they have that I don't have? And I was like, I think I'm just as smart as most of these people. I think I have as many skills as they do. They just, they've been doing it longer. So I'm going to start doing it and I'm going to get better. And I did. Well, it's a testament to you and you really made it happen. And I, you know, it's just sort of a theme throughout the whole book. And I love all of the stories and all of the ways that that you did that. So people absolutely have to get the book. It's it's amazing. On the book tour, are there more cities? Are you done? Where are you at on the book tour? I'm done. I did nine cities and it was really fun. People came to see me in these theaters and I got to interview people I really respect, like Jennifer Garner and Ina Garten and Leslie Jordan, and had some really fun conversations, Chance the Rapper in Chicago, and got to reconnect with some of the people I'd covered through the years to talk with them. And so it was really about being in conversation that would hopefully leave people enlightened and inspired. So that was that was really fun, but that's done. I'm still doing conversations with people like you. And I had a conversation with Hugh Hewitt this morning, you know, the conservative talk show host. And uh, he's actually quite a nice man and really, really liked the book, especially the part about my dad. He said he wasn't interested in, you know, talking to me about anything controversial, like my Ruth Bader Ginsburg story. And so it's just been fun to have conversations about it. You know, and as I said, I just like that people are finding it worthy of their time because we we only have a, a finite period of time every day. And it's a commitment to listen to a book or read a book or to be curious about someone's story. So I'm grateful for for the fact that that people are actually consuming it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. You know, it's kind of a family business. You've got your husband in it. Are your daughters interested? My older daughter is a television writer. She works for a show called The Boys on Amazon, which is based on a comic book. It's about sort of flawed superheroes. It's very subversive. So she's writing. 
both my girls are very liberal arts girls. We all three majored in American studies. I love that. Ellie at Yale and Carrie at Stanford. And I went to the University of Virginia. So we're all very interested in in sort of history and writing and literature. And so Carrie is actually doing some writing herself. Uh, She worked for Reuters. She was correcting misinformation and disinformation on Facebook, which I think was uh, damaged irreparably damaged her psyche when she's all the disinformation she had to correct and the things that people believe out there. But right now she's working on a documentary about the origins of the conservative movement and and William F. Buckley. So that's really interesting, especially she's a very progressive young woman. And um, I think she's enjoying that and finding it really interesting. It's fun seeing them occasionally on the page. I know one of them sings and has a beautiful voice. Yeah, that's Carrie. It was fun to watch the wedding this summer and just to see the, you know, the bit that you share in the background. You know, these kids that have grown up with people, you know, people who've seen you, who, you know, know of your husband dying, know how young the girls were. And to see them just as these amazing young women, you know, it's it's really beautiful. Yeah, well, people are so nice. You know, in the book, I talk about how I felt the collective embrace of today's show viewers when Jay passed away, you know, total strangers sending these beautiful mass cards, which I still have in my basement and lovely letters. And that's when you realize how kind people are, are Terry. I think, you know, there's so many good, nice people and, and somehow you don't hear about those acts of kindness and generosity and it, It feels like the world has, at least the country, has turned into a pretty vicious, mean place. But I think it's because goodness doesn't get much attention. Right. And there's there's goodness everywhere. And to the extent that we can find each other doing good things, that we can celebrate it, that we can elevate it. And I know you and I are both people that love doing that. You know, let's catch people doing things right and making a difference. Yeah, definitely. You know, we have a whole shop uh, at katiecouric.com where we support brands that share our values. They're like female founded or LGBTQ founded or BIPOC and, you know, environmentally sustainable, or they give back to their communities. And, you know, it's really amazing. And we want to put a spotlight on them and help their businesses because we also love their products, but they're doing it right. And, you know, we're trying to spread the joy and help other people with our company. So it's it's not just sort of reporting stories. It's it's giving people information that can they can support other people, do good and help them do well and just have sort of happier, more productive lives, you know, so. I've always wanted to get into journalism sort of as a public service in a way, because the information you give people can be life changing. You know, when I did a colonoscopy, for example, and a lot of people did it and a lot of lives were saved. That's why I mean, I I think you want to be a journalist. You want to obviously comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, as they say. And you want to point out wrongdoing and make sure people are held accountable. But I also think you have a responsibility to kind of share 
positive stories and good things that are happening in the world. To make a difference in whatever way we can. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've loved having you here. Just tell us where people find you and just tell me a little bit about, you know, we've got our weekly Friday favorites. I know you've got your wonderful newsletter you do. Just tell us a little bit. So we have a newsletter that's Monday through Saturday called Wake Up Call. And we've got an incredible staff of smart writers and editors who are curating interesting articles and important things you need to know every morning. And that lands in your inbox. The podcast I do is called Next Question. We do a lot of video series with purpose-driven brands. So we do a lot of different things. And uh, people can follow me on Instagram, of course, like you do. And I follow you or Twitter or Facebook. Instagram sort of my platform of choice. For some reason, I just like it. I think it's easy to use. It seems nicer, kinder, and gentler than Twitter. <laughs> but anyway, I think we're doing a lot of really great work featuring, you know, we do fun recipes like yours. And, you know, it's a nice community that we built of people who are interested and interesting and seem to really care about the world. And, you know, obviously I have a point of view about some things, but I try not to be too bitterly partisan in the way we cover the news because there's so much of that out there. Yeah, I think you do a good job. I think you really do a good job. Thank you, Terry. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for making a difference. I One thing I want to say is someone we have in common that we both know is Liz Josephsberg. Right. And I've worked on and off with Liz. And, you know, I think she's an amazing person making a difference. How's she doing now? What is she doing? She's now got her own thing. You know, Liz is out there. She's always, she's a hustler, too. She makes stuff happen. So I always, you know, work with her privately on and off. But I just she's a person making a difference. I wanted to say that. Yeah, she's an awesome awesome human being. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of awesome human beings out there. And I think we don't focus on that enough, right? right? right. Thanks for being with us. I know you're a busy person, so we're going to let you go, but we're going to come find you. Hey, Terry, do you bite your nails? No, I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to start to peel the polish off of one, but I don't bite them. I bite my nails. And I was like, oh, I think I have a fellow nail no, biter um, talking No, peel to off me. the polish. And once a little bit goes, that's it. It's all 10 nails. So I'm saying, stop, Terry, stop. I was like, I have a, a comrade in biting, nail biting. <laughs> anyway, but thank you, Terry, so much for having me. I've loved getting to know you on Instagram and following you. And um, someday when I'm in the same city, you can help me learn to cook a few more things. Yeah, or, or make you something beautiful to eat. That would be fun for sure. I would love that. Thanks so much. Bye, Terry. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for joining. It's Terry from No Crumbs Left signing off. Come over and find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, where it's No Crumbs Left TikTok or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, Friday Favorites. Have a great day. Welcome to the after show. I'm here with my kid. Hey, you. Hey, you. Uh, it's kind of fun because I'm like, I really like the limelight. So now I've just made up, I don't know if people have joined for past seasons. If you're just joining now, this is actually, it's my after show because I, I just like for there to be a space that's all about me. And I figured why not just put it right at the end of your podcast. So what do we want to talk about today? I, I think we should talk about Katie and how amazing that was. Katie Kirk, the first thing I want to say is we found out today that Katie Kirk is a nail biter. And I just, as a, as a fellow nail biter, 
I kind of, it makes me feel happy to be a part of the group somehow with her. Right, right. <laughs> we've, we've, we've discovered maybe, a, maybe one thing that Katie Couric could work on. I, don't, I can't think of anything else. So what is, what's your first like memory of Katie Couric? Because I feel like people my age now like don't have as much of a connection to news in the same way. Like I don't know a lot of people that like watch the news. And so I'm wondering if there's like one particular memory that kind of sticks out or an interview with Katie or something that's like a defining thing that you remember have connected with about her career. I think it's, you know, her being on the Today Show and, you know, I was a young working woman. Katie is, you know, maybe three years older than I am. Uh, but it's like getting ready for work, you know, her being on it, you know, it's like putting on pantyhose in the days that people did. And just just like loved her, relatable, so darling. So there was just something about her that made me want to watch the news. I just always just like loved her genuineness, her realness. I mean, she was so fun. I was I was like nervous to be in the presence of such like a, right. an icon. <laughs> I were you were you nervous? First the thing is once we get rolling it's fine. I mean, you know, but of course there is just that sense of it so we're starting a new season and everything and just wanting to do a good job, but um, but it just felt very natural, and it was wonderful to have a conversation with her. And I, I, I really respect and dig what she's doing, so it was delightful. Yeah, it was. I thought it really hit home for me when she was talking about, like, it's our relationships that matter and not our things. I'm moving right now, and so in the process of doing that, I've, like, moved all of the actual items out of my house. And there's something about it that feels weirdly so much better, like not having, I don't even have like scissors or pens or anything that I might need on a daily basis, but somehow I feel like it's allowing me to focus on the things that actually matter, which are like the people that I love. Um, And somehow when she was talking about that, it's such a simple concept, but it really kind of hit me in a new way today. And I thought that that was sweet going into the holiday season when we're, going to be seeing each other and all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say I think you should read the book. It's a beautiful book. I love books on tape. I love, you know, the audio book. I love how it sort of shuts out the world and quiets my brain. You know, some people like to watch TV. I really don't because it doesn't relax me, but books on tape do. So I loved her book on tape. I loved the audio. I loved the stories. And there are lots of like small chapters, which I really like. She's super revealing and she's revealing in a way that she's okay, but it's not flattering about her. Um, but I, I just loved all of the stories, and and because we're near the same age, there were like periods of time where news stories that have actually been important to me or or, or a part of, you know, the landscape of my life. So I, I I really liked it. Well, I also love that she did her own audio. Like that to me is like the coolest thing when you can hear somebody's words and stories in their own voice. And I love that she was like, well, there would be nobody else to do this, but me, I wouldn't have somebody else reading my words. Like, I just thought that's what a hustler. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. It's like, I said, you're a hustler. And she was like, I'm like, I'm a hustler. I, I feel she's a hustler, but I feel, and when I say hustler, it's not like in a bad way. It's in the highest possible way, but we're people that are getting some stuff done. And when there was times where she was describing herself as like, accomplishing a lot and doing many things at the same time. I'm like, Lucy is probably going, or September is probably going, oh my God, you're describing my mom. I mean, were you thinking that at the time? <laughs> I mean, I if I had to describe you, I would say you are a woman running at 500 miles per hour with one shoe on. 
And um, so I think that those, <laughs> that, yeah. Well, did you think that when she was describing herself? I don't, I don't know. Apparently I not. I don't know that. I was I like, thought. symbiotic. I'm having a symbiotic moment. And I'm having it alone, by the way. I'm the only freaking person having a symbiotic moment. You're not even thinking that at all. That's the best part I, of the story. I do think that the two of you are quite similar. Um, I also found it interesting. There was a moment where she described herself as, only being semi-intellectual, and I was like, "If Katie Couric is semi-intellectual, I don't. There is no hope for the rest of us. We absolutely have nothing going for us." Yeah, well, maybe compared to like a physicist or something, right? <laughs> but we know that she's, you know, a smart, interesting person making a difference in the world. Oh, what yeah. else did you think? Okay, well, here's here's a big thing that I was thinking about. I think it's also kind of a challenge for the two of us because before we got on, we were talking about. You were asking me, will I do some TikToks with you? But a big, a big topic that we touched on here was like, Katie's not going to use her phone during the holidays. And I wondered, are you going to be inspired by her in any way this holiday season? I, the face you're giving me is like, absolutely don't ask me this on the podcast. No, no, no. I'm not giving you that face. Yeah, but there's a long break. So some of that, some of that definitely, I mean, I believe, and I'm not sure that Molly is front-loading all of the posts, because we've written everything. We have a content calendar. We know exactly what's happening. So there won't be any struggling for what are we putting up today. It's been decided, and they're written. So I love that. And my hope is some of these things are going up, but there will be some stories to put up. But I would say definitely at least 60%, yes. But I'm not, not when we went to Mexico and I did not look at my phone for a week. Okay, don't describe that as you didn't look at your phone. Maybe you didn't post on Instagram, but we wouldn't describe it as you didn't look at your phone Well, for I didn't a week. look on Instagram at all the entire week. I did not at all one time look at Instagram. We certainly had to, do, we certainly had to talk about Instagram for long periods of time. I think what we should do one day during the holidays, you and I together, I know this will be difficult. And I think that's why we should do it. We should delete the app from our phones just for one day. Oh, I can't delete the app because I have 50 uh, saved things. There's no deleting the app, but we can, I can put it on the back they'll end. Be, they'll be, well, we, we've already discussed this. The back end doesn't work for either of us. Okay. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't delete it because I can put it like put away my phone, but I can't delete it. Because I have, we have all kinds of content sh- saved on there, so that's not possible. Well, it doesn't go away; it stays in your account. No, something you don't know if you, do, if you yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> okay, um, well, I mean, I, I thought, anyways, I thought the bit on so on social media was pretty powerful because, yeah, you know, it's like she's talking about how she has this audience, this amazing audience that she loves connecting with and that that's been like a staple of her career is knowing that there are people at home who she's inspiring, who she can kind of be in conversation with and that social media has really created that in a new way. So while social media can be so kind of destructive and isolating in the way we use it, it's also like such a tool for connection. And I really, you know, definitely relate to that. I think social media is like how I connect with queer people and queer audiences and uh, parents of, of queer kids. And that's like really important to me. So thought that that was sweet. I also learned that Katie is a Capricorn and Capricorns and Virgos are meant to be best friends. So what I'm saying is Katie and I are actually best friends. Sorry to inform you. Well, my dad was a Capricorn and I do love some Capricorns. So, um, 
Yeah, I loved finding out she was a Capricorn. I thought that was great. And it made a lot of sense for me, you know, in terms of reading that book and seeing that persistence making it happen. That's a very Capricorn kind of trait. Yeah. So you loved the the end of her book um, mm-hmm. where she kind of brought up that that thing that her dad would say. And do you, like, does anything come to mind in terms of, like, an expression in our family that it's, like, one of those things that we kind of, like, repeat a lot that becomes, like, woven into family stories? Well, I mean, I, first of all, it was a beautiful letter from her dad, and I loved that that's how she ended it because I'm, I care a lot about beautiful letters from my dad, and my parents were such amazing influences. I was thinking things like schmoody boot, you know, if, if like a kid's misbehaving, or Santa crusher, if you're like crushing everyone's joy. So I did think right away of schmoody booting and um, and Santa crushing. Yeah. Santa crushing is yeah, a and good one. Yeah, and one other thing, let me just say it, because it, is that when Patrick was little and he just, he couldn't help but misbehaving pretty much all the time, or, or he couldn't help but, like, he wanted to touch the dog and he's allergic, so he, he would be, like, compulsive and wanted to touch the dog, so I'd be like, and if he didn't and I didn't want to embarrass him, I'd be like, Nick the dog one, okay, then it's like, Nick the dog two, because he's still touching the dog. Nick the dog three, where it's like, you're touching the freaking dog and you're allergic. How did so you get to Nick just, the dog? Like, how did that get created? Oh, because um, somebody had a dog named Nick and, and <laughs> Patrick couldn't stop touching the dog. So it was like, Nick the dog one, Nick the dog two. It was like, yeah, no, no, no. That's a big no, but you don't want to embarrass your kid and be like, stop doing it right now. So it's like, Nick the dog one, <laughs> Nick the dog two. So I would say schmoody boot and Santa crushing. So, Luz, we're wrapping it up here. That's all. We've revealed some things. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I guess we've revealed a lot of things. Um, But I thought she was so cute. And I thought that she she said about the book that she just likes that people are finding it worthy of their time. And I thought that that's, like, such a sweet and, like, (laughs) adorable way to pay respect for people that are enjoying her book. And I I really look um, forward to reading it. One other thing that she said that I'll close this with is you want to be a journalist to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, point out wrongdoing and hold people accountable, but also to share positive stories and spread joy in the world. And I think that's like clearly the MO of Katie Kirk and uh, and she she showed up here. So we loved having her. And I really hope that all of you enjoyed my after show. I'll be back next episode to entertain you.